big twist for New York right now. Uh, Mitchell Robinson injury, really a, a killer for this team. And that's where we're going to start with the baseline here. We've got Sean Geddes from the Knicks wall. We've got Casey Johnson, NBC Chicago, tremendous Bulls reporter to talk all things Bulls and really around the league. But let's start here. Mitchell Robinson might be out for the rest of the year, Sean. Uh, the Knicks don't know yet. They are awaiting word from NBA doctors as to whether they can get a disabled player exception for Mitchell Robinson. And the doctors would have to determine that it's more likely than not that Robinson would be out until at least June 15th. If that's the case, they'll have, I think, about $8 million and an exception to use in a potential trade. But you really can't overstate the importance to Robinson with this team this year. Uh, what are your thoughts on losing him and, and what might come from that? Sean, what are you thinking about uh, losing Mitch? All right, so Sean maybe is having trouble hearing us. So I'm going to go straight to KC because Andre yeah. Drummond is a big on the Chicago Bulls. We know that in the past, uh, at least one top decision maker with the Knicks had been strongly interested in pursuing Drummond. Uh, so that's kind of where my mind went last night because of that history between, again, top executive with the Knicks, at least one, and Drummond. And so I assume the Knicks would at least be considering that. But KC, given where Chicago is right now, given what they've done recently, with Zach Levine out, do you think there's any way that they would look to deal Drummond, even if the Knicks came calling? Yeah, first I would just say about the loss of Mitch. I mean, having covered Tom Thibodeau, I can tell you assuredly that what he is so impactful with is that's a player that that impacts the game without needing the ball or needing plays called for him. And Tom Thibodeau loves those type of players. Uh, I covered Tom and, and Taj Gibson here, and uh, that was another example of that. So. Big blow for the Knicks. Um, I've had other teams uh, ask me about Drummond's availability, so I do think that he would have a market if the Bulls put him into play between now and the February 8th trade deadline. I could just tell you that I've reported at NBCSportsChicago.com that for now the Bulls focuses on Zach Levine and his future. What they'd like to do ideally is find a trade partner for him, if that's possible, see how that roster fallout shakes down between now and the February 8th deadline, and then determine if they're buyers or sellers. To this point, Bulls management has always operated since the Nikola Vucevic trade way back when in a win-now mode. So I personally, as we're sitting here taping this today, would be surprised if Andre Drummond is into play. But I do know that there are several teams that would be interested in him if that were the case. That makes a lot of sense. And, and Sean, we're going to go back to you just – your initial reaction to the news late last night and, and what do you think it means for the club going forward? My initial reaction was heartbreaking despair. Uh, it was very tough. I was uh, you know, on cloud nine yelling loud and being all boisterous about beating the Nets and running the city and how they're trash. I was clipping up something about how Nick Claxton and Mitchell Robinson had the same impact on the game last night from my uh, show last night. And then the notification came through that he was possibly out for the season. And literally I like clutched my chest um, and I still haven't fully recovered. It's just very unfortunate. I had just come to terms with the fact that he'll be out for eight to 10 weeks. And I was like, okay, we can get through that. You know, Hardenstein's playing great ball. He had a great first start last night. 
And so I'm still confident that we'll be a great team moving forward. Uh, of course, we now have to go out there and try to find some, you know, help as a backup big. I got to see Julius at the five for like four minutes last night. That was pretty cool. I, I won't bank on getting used to it, but I just think that this team can step up. And, you know, with the way that Isaiah Hartenstein has played, I believe he's been the best backup big in the league. And so him uh, stepping into that starting slot now and the rest of the team picking up the slack, I believe we'll be all right. But it, I'm hurt for myself, hurt for the Knicks fans, and hurt for Mitchell Robinson. The interesting thing to me here, Sean and Casey, is with the Knicks, you know, they've they've really held on to so much in terms of their draft picks, in terms of their young players, with the idea of swinging a big deal for a big, impactful player. And do they say now, hey, we're going to have to use some of those assets to obtain uh, a center here? Because, yeah, we love Isaiah Hartenstein. We know he can hold the fort down for us, but we need some depth there with Jericho Sims out. Uh, got Taj Gibson, but how much would they be willing to part with to acquire uh, a backup center or a starting center? I think that's that's one of the questions that's being asked, that has to be asked right now with the Knicks internally, because they, again, have saved a lot for this star acquisition. But if you're talking about getting an impactful center, you know, you're going to have to give up more than, you know, a second round pick or two to bring somebody in. So that's a, a tough question that's going to have to be answered by the Knicks. I would assume you go external here because uh, you need a big and you don't have a, a ready-made big on your roster to, to bring in, to, to eat minutes there. So I'm assuming they go out there and they have the opportunity to open a couple roster spots because they have a couple players um, on not – fully guaranteed deals in Ryan Archie Diacono, Daquan Summers. So they have the room to make something work. If they have the trade exception, you have Evan Fournier's salary. So they have ways to get a deal done without giving up a ton. I'm just wondering what the threshold is for them in terms of what we're willing to part with to bring somebody in. And Sean, as you kind of, you look at this situation long-term, you know, Mitchell Robinson, I think they did well with him by and large last year when he was out. Do you want to see them bring in a big name to kind of move this thing forward? Or do you want it to be more status quo, bring in somebody who can eat minutes? I think we really just need somebody who can come in and play the five, uh, you know, defend and give us some rebounds. I think Isaiah Hardenstein is going to do a solid job as a starter. I would like somebody like an Isaiah Stewart, like a Nick Richards, uh, you know, those names around the league who are fives, but they're not, I don't think those names are going to cost a whole lot. I don't even think there are necessarily centers out there who are big names who are available uh, that are going to come in and really move the needle in that way and cost a lot of assets. Like the Joel, no, it's not going to be a Joel Embiid trade. It's not going to be like a DeMontis Sabonis trade or anything like that. And so I think you just, you know, fill in the hole that you, like we have an obvious hole. And so you fill that hole in with a guy who can give you 20 to 25 minutes a night and, you know, be a depth piece. And then you move on and keep it rolling. Well, right now we're going to move off Mitchell Robinson and we're going to go stargazing uh, with our friend Casey Johnson and with Sean Geddes uh, because we all know Leon Rose is in the market for a big time player. Eventually, uh, whether it comes now or in the future, we're not sure. But KC, a lot happening in your market with your organization with Zach Levine, with DeMar DeRozan. Uh, where, do you, where do you think things stand right now? You mentioned your report most recently uh, about Zach being the, the top domino here to fall first. Do you, do you foresee something happening here soon? Do you foresee them going up to the deadline to figure this thing out? How do you foresee this unfolding? 
Yeah, I mean, as you guys know, I mean, all it takes is one phone call to change things, right? So I can just tell you to this point, I don't think a big market has materialized for Zach Levine. And uh, I can just tell you that both sides are motivated to find the right deal. But there is a reasonable scenario in which they are not able to move that contract. That is a tough contract to move. He's got $138 million uh, over the next three seasons, including a player option in that third season, past this season, a 15% trade kicker, which obviously could be negotiated out if need be for financial purposes. It's a it's a big contract because any team that's adding him is probably doing so. I mean, if you take one hypothetical landing spot that is off rumored in the Lakers, you're adding a max salary as the number three option. And obviously I think he'd be a fantastic fit in LA, but, and I know that franchise historically is not uh, had a problem paying the luxury tax, but in this new collective bargaining agreement, that is a that is a hefty salary to add as a number three option. So, uh, obviously, in a Knicks scenario, um, he'd be two two A. I, I don't know how you why you want to slot that with Brunson and Randall. I mean, obviously, you know he would add shooting to that situation, but to this point, I have not heard much of a market materialize for Zach. I can just tell you that both sides are motivated to find him a new home between now and February 8th. Yeah, it's fascinating from a Nick perspective, Casey, because you and I have talked about it kind of on and off over the past several months. And I heard coming into this season and earlier in the season that the interest for Levine would be lukewarm from the Knicks. I didn't, I didn't get the sense that it would be strong. Uh, he got Dating back, I would say, maybe a month ago. So, as you said, things can change in a heartbeat. Mitchell Robinson injury changes a lot. I don't think it would change anything significant with regards to the Knicks feeling on Zach, but I, I wonder maybe if the price goes down, if that changes. But, yeah, as of a month ago, several weeks ago, I, I didn't get the impression that there was a strong, strong interest on Zach Levine. So I, I'd be a little bit surprised if talks sparked in a serious way at this point. But, again, Things change in a on a dime, and the Mitch Robinson injury changes things, certainly, for this Knicks club. And Sean, for you, when you hear the name uh, Zach Levine, what do you think? What do you think as, a, as an addition, as how he would fit? Um, I'm not sure if I can use this term on here, but uh, <laughs> it starts with an H, but it ends with no. Uh, keep him far away from me. Uh, <laughs> keep him far away from my team. I don't need Zach Levine here. I don't need players who don't commit to defense. I don't need players who make max money and are injury prone. I don't need players who, when they sit down and stop playing, their team gets better. I don't need Zach Levine here by any stretch of the imagination. Dante DiVincenzo is currently shooting 44% from three. He's doing a perfectly fine job that starting shooting guard spot. Honestly, I would like Emmanuel quickly to get a shot that starting shooting guard spot before I ever brought in Zach Levine. So I, I'm good. I am not under the impression that, you know, people say the Knicks need a star. The Knicks need star power. And we've got two players playing All-NBA basketball. Um, and Zach Levine is never – he's not playing All-NBA level basketball. And he's never, like, won in the playoffs or anything like that. And so I don't know what makes him a star, but Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle not stars. So uh, this is my first time on this show. I would just say, do you guys have fire emojis <laughs> to drop in right now? Because, I mean, what the heck's going on? This is, But this is – Ian and, and Sean, this is, like, kind of – the reality, I mean, this is a two-time All-Star and a gold Olympic gold medalist we're talking about, but this is kind of the visceral reaction to Zach Levine. And this is not just fans or other people. It's like 
executives have these same concerns. And it's amazing to me because obviously I'm in the weeds with Zach and have watched his entire career in Chicago. But I see an elite three-level scorer who obviously has had a very rough season, and we can get into that in a second, to this point. But leading up to this season, this is a guy, to me, who is an elite three-level scorer, incredibly efficient, um, I think has kind of shed his label as a selfish, empty-calorie scorer. I mean, he, he, he passes the ball when he's trapped those kind of things. But it's funny because that's kind of the same reaction that I hear in my conversations with executives around the league. Like, can he impact winning? And uh, what are his injury concerns? What are the injury concerns? And that's a lot of money for a guy who is only occasionally dipping his toes into the two-way player waters. So it's it's pretty remarkable. I mean, you've seen stars uh, move in this league pretty easily. And um, Zach, to me, is a star. Um, but I don't see much market for him. So that, that's uh, very intriguing. Casey, when you talk about this year, I'm just curious your thoughts. Has there been any idea that this trade stuff has seeped into what you've seen from him on the floor? To me, he, he strikes me as a professional where that wouldn't happen. Have you seen that at all, though? Well, multiple levels. I have not, to, the, to your direct question, I have, not, I have not seen that. He is a he is a professional. He's very committed to the team. Uh, he's been very supportive of his team in this 10-game stretch that he's been out watching from the sidelines. He's up in huddles. He's cheering. He's engaged. Uh, he's This guy, you know, I, I've been one of his bigger defenders in Chicago because he is a very polarizing player. Um, but he is committed to winning. He is committed to his teammates. But as far as this season, I mean, like I said, uh, he just has not played to his standards. I mean, it goes on multiple levels. He has not shot the ball well, which, given his career numbers, you think will rectify itself at some point. Um, but his decision-making, his IQ, both of those things have regressed from my seat. And there was a time there, you know, I mentioned this Olympic gold medalist situation, he embraced the winning role for that Team USA where he was a two-way player, picking up full court, defending, obviously more of a role player, less of a score. He can play winning basketball, and I think he was on the ascent as a solid decision maker, two-way player, impacting winning. And I think that has been the biggest regression this season before that injury. And that's the troubling thing, not only for the Bulls, but for the trade market as well. Sean, I know you're tired of this topic, so I'm coming to you on something else in a minute here. But Casey, one hypothetical here. It seems to me like the organization you cover, they're in win-now mode regardless of what happens. I don't think they have the latitude to kind of blow it up and start from scratch. So when you're talking about a trade for Zach sending him out, they need players who can help them win now, I would assume. And I would assume that you know, an Emmanuel quickly or a Quinton Grimes would have to be a part of that package uh, along with, you know, uh, first round picks and, and whatever fills in around that. But am I am I wrong in that assumption? Would Chicago take back a deal where they looked longer term and, and felt like they could slow things down and start over? No, I mean, they'd be looking for salary, salary, salary relief. So obviously Fournier would be in that deal and a pick and yes, an impact player. Now, I mean, in the Lakers scenario, you there's reporting that, you know, they'd be asking for Austin Reeves, who from my seat is probably not, that's not going to happen. So that is a good read. I mean, you just look at this regime, managerial regime's moves since they've taken over. They, they inherited a rebuild and they just pressed 
eject on that and pushed all their chips in on Vucevic, the Rosen sign and trade, Ball sign and trade, Caruso free agency market. They've been in win now mode since then. And, you know, that five and 14 start probably gave them some pause, but they're seven and three in their last 10. And as we all know, in this new play in reality of the NBA, a lot of teams think they're uh, contenders rather than pretenders. So we'll see where it goes between now and February 8th. But that is a fair read, Ian, that they would be trying to acquire players that can help them now. I mentioned quickly because I'm, I'm sure any conversation with the Knicks about a significant trade, a team is asking about quickly, wants quickly because of the way he's played in his contract situation. Sean, you were gushing over Emmanuel quickly uh, during that Nick Met game last night. Uh, what have you seen from him and, you know, what makes you so optimistic about his future? Uh, I've seen from the time Emmanuel quickly's gotten here, one thing I always say about him is that, you know, this is year four. I've never had to ask Emmanuel quickly for effort. And so I've always been ready to run through a wall for him, for him. And he continues to improve his game and elevate his game every single year. When he first got into the league, he wasn't really a good defender. He was kind of a liability on that end. Now he's one of the better defenders in the league, in my opinion, on and off ball IQ wise, no pun intended, uh, just being in the right place at the right time. Uh, he's shooting the free throws well. He's getting to the basket. He's playmaking when he has the opportunity. When the ball is in his hands, he's shooting extremely well. He's averaging 15 points a game without getting consistent minutes. I think he's playing under 25 minutes a game, which is the lowest in his career since his rookie year. And still, like he's not letting that affect his play and the energy he brings to the court. I truly feel like Nick's basketball is better when Emmanuel quickly is on the floor. And so seeing him elevate his game constantly, seeing him be a two-way guy, uh, I think the sky, I truly believe the sky is the limit for Emmanuel quickly. And I hope we get to see that sky be a limit in the Raptors at MSG. You know, quickly, such an important piece for this club this year. Uh, we'll see what happens in the future. But another uh, important piece for now and the future, Jalen Brunson. And I'm just curious, both of you guys, I want to hear both of you guys on Jalen Brunson. But KC, for you, obviously, Rick Brunson. Uh, you know him from his Chicago days. And I don't know if if you were around when, when Jalen was coming into the locker room and, and talking to Jer Derek Rose when he was a younger guy. But just based on what you know about Rick, how you know Rick and, and being here and his son just performing at a high level, what are your impressions from afar on Jalen and how he's done so far? Yeah, I mean, I've known Jalen since he was uh... – blow my waist. I mean, he was a ball boy for the boys, uh, for the Bulls. So I've known Jalen since he was like five, six years old. So it's been wild, obviously, to see this uh, star ascension from my seat, but it doesn't surprise me. I mean, there was that video that circulated, obviously, on social media recently of Rick pacing him through workouts as a youth. I mean, he's always been about the grind, the work. You always knew whatever his ceiling was, he was going to reach it. I think maybe the only thing that has surprised me is um, how his three-point shooting has stayed so elite, even with his you know, attempts per game going up. I believe he's up over six per game now, and he's shooting over 45%. That's just insane efficiency. But he's a winner, uh, always has been. I mean, obviously, it's well-documented that he won state titles here in the Chicago suburbs for Stevenson High School. Um, I actually went to a couple of those games with, with Rick, so... I go way back with Jalen, and it's been fun from my seat not having to cover him too much, uh, you know, as an objective reporter. I mean, there are times where I can drop the objective reporter and just admire what he's accomplished because 
it's pretty remarkable. Uh, he's a legit lead player to me for a championship contending team. That's how good he is. Well, I hope when it's all said and done, Jalen gives you some credit for the locker room tips you gave him when he was uh, in there <laughs> under your waist and hanging out. Uh, my, my, my tips was to stay away from sports journalism. That was my tips. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, for you, uh, Brunson, year two, you know, it seems to me like he's gone after his shot certain nights when he knows he has it. But he more recently, he's really pulled back, I think, and, and spread the ball around a lot. Uh, over the last few weeks, what have you noticed from him of late? Um, and and kind of where are you in terms of his level in the hierarchy of point guards in the East as we get towards all-star voting? Uh, I am, it's as you said, Ian, like he's, he's done a very good job at picking his spots, at knowing when it's his time to go, at setting people up. And it's funny, Jalen Brunson kind of makes me feel like a psychic. Uh, coming into last season, I said, you know, I think I, I think that he's going to increase his volume from three and, uh, you know, start shooting pull-up threes, and that's going to take his game to another level. And he did exactly that. Then coming into this season, I said, I think he's going to increase that volume even more and increase that range, and it's going to take his game to yet another level. And that's exactly what he's done. And I also said that he was going to prioritize playmaking a bit more. And so because he's, he's stretched the floor now for the Knicks, you know, and I think that became most clear in his recent stretch where he struggled. I think... Uh, last week or two weeks ago, he had his worst four-game stretch as the Knicks, and he was shooting like three for 19 over those four games from three. And that shrunk the floor for the Knicks because we we depend on him uh, stretching the floor out and shooting from range, and, you know, it makes it difficult for defenses to cover him. And so he's able to open the floor for the entire team, and that's allowing him now to focus more on playmaking and setting guys up. And so I have nights where he takes 10 to 12 shots and has eight to nine assists. And, you know, it just depends on what's going on. If Julius Julius has been phenomenal recently, you know, if RJ has it going, if Quick has it going, if Dante has it going, Jalen doesn't necessarily have to give us 30 for us to win, and that puts him in a great spot. And honestly, in terms of his hierarchy, the hierarchy of Eastern Conference guards, I'm not putting anyone over him. I'm not saying that he's the best guard in the Eastern Conference. I probably am saying that. But, like, the Tyrese Halliburton, uh, the Tyrese Maxis, the Dame, you know, those guys are all great, but there's no reason why they're on a tier that he is not. I think he's been excellent, and I think that as a Knicks fan, we should be voting for him every single day. Same for Julius Randle. And do not put Tyrese Halliburton on your ballot. Do not put Tyrese Maxey on your ballot. Do not put Dame Lillard on your ballot, because I promise you, no one in Indiana, Philadelphia, or Milwaukee is voting for Jalen Brunson. So get real selfish with it. All right, there you go. Well, before we go back to Chicago, we want to let you know that this season, uh, the putback is in podcast form. So you can download it wherever you listen to your podcast. Be sure to check us out there. But now let's go stargazing again. Back to the Bulls. We're going. DeMar DeRozan now. Uh, there's been reporting, I think, from The Athletic that DeRozan's preferred destination would be Miami or New York. And, you know, we know that going back to his prior, uh, last time he switched teams, he was interested in New York. I think the Knicks, if they didn't get Evan Fournier, I think they had something that they felt they could get done with DeMar DeRozan back then. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me that much that he'd be interested in New York now. Um, KC, latest from you, what do you think on DeRozan? How do you see it unfolding post Zach Levine trade, as you mentioned earlier? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I can just tell you that they obviously had extension talks before the season and they didn't lead anywhere. Um, but those obviously can be restarted at any time. Um, he is headed for unrestricted free agency. Um, you know, a big reason why, not a big, but one of the reasons that, that uh, DeMar came to Chicago was his longstanding relationship with general manager Mark Eversley who uh, they shared uh, a relationship from their days in Toronto. So, um, look, it's the Bulls' responsibility to have conversations with Aaron Goodwin, DeMar DeRozan's agent, and know what he's thinking for the future. I can just tell you that he is incredibly valued internally, not only for his on-the-court performance, but his off-the-court performance. So there is a strong scenario in which he is re-signed by the Bulls, who obviously have his bird rights. So it's the general, it's the management's responsibility to know what his future plans are. Um, and as I said earlier in this program, you know, the focus right now is on Zach Levine and his future, but you also have to do your due diligence on DeMar DeRozan's future. Sitting here as we tape this in December, I would be surprised if he's dealt by February 8th, but as we all know, a lot can happen between now and then. I do think that the Zach trade is the priority and then see how that shakes down. And if they are not able to make a Zach trade, you still have to know what DeMar is thinking for the future. DeMar is a guy who also does not mix business and basketball. You go to him and you say, what do you want? He's like, I don't, I don't talk contract. I don't talk trades. I just hoop. And so that's on Aaron Goodwin and Mark Eversley and Arturis Karnishevis. Um, so we'll see where it goes, but I can just tell you that the Bulls and Billy Donovan love them some DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> yeah, when you talk about the impact, you know, off the court, it seems like another player who would fit so well with the Knicks just from that perspective. But I'm going to go back to uh, what I was saying earlier about Zach Levine, and I think this was several weeks ago, maybe more than a month ago. I was told that the the interest in DeRozan was lukewarm, would have been lukewarm if it got to a point where he was available. And so, you know, again, things could change. Things did change last night with the Mitchell Robinson injury that changes the landscape significantly for New York. But if that holds true, if, if what I'd heard several weeks back holds true, I would be surprised if the Knicks made a strong rush at DeMar DeRozan if Chicago makes him available. Um, that was that was the read, again, as of a uh, month, month plus ago. But, Sean, when you heard DeMar DeRozan saw the Knicks as one of the destinations he wanted to go to, obviously what matters more is the, do the Knicks want him. But when you heard that, what was your reaction? Ian, I feel like you're not going to be surprised. <laughs> well, let me, let me stop you for one second, Sean. <laughs> You can absolutely say hell on this program. We are a family program, so the other four-letter words you can't go to, but hell, yeah, you have the green light. Okay, cool. I don't feel like it's as much of a hell no for DeMar DeRozan, um, <laughs> but I'm just not interested. Uh, I, I like DeMar DeRozan. I have a lot of respect for his game. I just don't think he's necessarily a fit here. I mean, you got to think, as far as the players in our rotation, Julius Randle, who just turned 29, is our oldest player by far. Um, and so I like the youth uh, kind of aspect that we have, but also in terms of like what I was just saying about Jalen Brunson and his three-point shooting, uh, spray, spacing and spreading the floor. You know, I, I think that DeMar DeRozan shrinks the floor and also he's a non-defender and I don't need a non-floor spacer, nor do I need a non-defender, nor do I need them both in the same player. And so while he's a great player, an excellent scorer, one of the best scorers, one of the best mid-range players 
in the history of basketball, honestly. I have so much respect for his game. I just do not believe that he fits here for what he would cost financially, for what he would cost asset-wise, and for what he would cost as far as touches on the floor. Yeah, it's interesting. The other place I go to in the wake of the Mitchell Robinson injury is Tom Thibodeau. Uh, he has got one year remaining on his deal after this season. And you know, I was told coming into the season that potential extension talks did not reach an advanced level. And I think that that's true for everybody in the organization, uh, decision makers included, Leon Rose and his group. So the thing that I wonder is, how does this change how owner James Dolan sees this team? Does it change his expectations uh, based on this injury? Does he see them more so now as, you know, let's see if they can get into the playoffs and he'd be happy with that. And then maybe they talk extension with Thibodeau, Rose and the group. Or does he still want to see more? Because I, I was under the impression that he wanted to see how this thing played out this year uh, before thinking about, you know, adding years to contracts. So I just wonder how that changes there now with Mitchell Robinson out. But Casey, what you know about Tom Thibodeau, uh, you covered him for a long time in Chicago. How do you think he, regardless of what the Knicks do or don't do personnel-wise, how do you think he, uh, excuse me, approaches life without Mitchell Robinson? I mean, it's a blow. As I mentioned before, he loves players that impact games without having plays called for them or need touches. I mean, he's always valued that. Um, so, but look, you know, here's the thing about Tom and you guys know this as well as anybody, like he maximizes whatever you give him. So this is a significant blow to the Knicks. There's no getting around that. But I mean, I covered obviously seasons in which Derrick Rose would be down and they would just have a next man up mentality. And that's always been Tom's approach. He's not an excuse maker. He's not a what if guy. He just focuses on the task in front of him, tries to maximize every moment of every season which is why he's developed the reputation of being as intense as he is because he's committed to winning. And um, while this is a significant blow to the Knicks, it's not going to change Tom's approach. You know, you guys have heard it a million times. The magic is in the work, right? So that's all he's going to do is he's going to work. And, um, you know, it's funny. I was going to quickly comment on Sean, you know, after he torched Zach Levine. I did agree with his DeMar DeRozan assessment because I think him and Randall, that's just a little too floor shrinkage for my taste as well. So, Thumbs up to that one, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Casey, real quick, do you see a change in Thibodeau just from what you're viewing from afar uh, when you know him, what he did in Chicago when he was with you guys to where he is now? Yeah, I would just say, I mean, obviously I still talk to Tom, Tom and I, I have a relationship with him still, and I, I love talking basketball with him and messing around with him. Uh, I, I don't like commenting on guys I'm not around on a daily basis, so I don't know. You know, I see him three, four times a year. What I would just say is, in my, from my seat, he evolved in his five years here in Chicago. I mean, from year one to year five, he was a different person. So I have to imagine that growth continues. Um, I do think sometimes his reputation of being this maniacal, crazy work guy, uh, in terms of the physical demands on players and minutes police and all that stuff is overstated. I've always said his mental demands are greater than his physical demands. You can't be in the NBA for as long as he's been. And achieve the success that he's achieved without knowing how to pace a team and pace players. So I think his physical demands are what are as intense as anybody, but he's never going to make excuses for that because he just wants to win. So um, I can't speak in terms of his evol evolving nature to the Knicks because I'm not around him every day, but I saw him evolve in his five seasons here in Chicago. 
he's a polarizing figure, but you look at the bottom line and he is the most successful Nick coach uh, of the last 20 plus years. So that has to count for something. But Sean, moving ahead here, Knicks have Milwaukee on Saturday and then on Monday, Christmas Day. What would you say will, will leave you feeling good after these two games? What result? Uh, obviously, blowout wins, wins would, would make you feel good. But given the context of everything, no Mitchell Robinson, so much in flux, had what would leave you feeling good about this team moving forward uh, based on what you would see these next two games? I need at least a win. I mean, I would love to take both. I, I hate what we, you know, I hate that we gave up that first one in Milwaukee with no RJ and Jalen having 45 and no one else showing up. Um, so I need at least a win. I don't want them to sweep us on the air. I don't want them to come into the garden and beat us twice in a row. That would really ruin my Christmas. I'm not going to lie. So uh, nothing less than a win would satisfy me. I need at least a win. Uh, let's go for two. And plus, you know, I, I have this thing. When we go on win streaks. I call it them things territory. So it's three of them things. I, I need I need three. I need to be on the streak. And that way we can push for four. And I can be on post game yelling necesito cuatro. I need a win. And so, you know. Let's go. Like I, I, we're very capable of beating this team. Like uh, Julius outplayed Giannis last time, in my opinion. Uh, Giannis really couldn't guard him, and Julius is like really playing phenomenal basketball right now. His process has been amazing. He's cut back on the threes. He's operating in the post. He's he's killing it in the mid range. He's getting all the shots that he wants. Um, so I would love for him to continue to do that and win that matchup. I think Jalen's going to go toe to toe with Dame. Jalen's been doing a great job this season. And so it's really going to take, you know, the rest of the team is going to take RJ. I need RJ's jumper to fall. That would, that is all I want for Christmas is RJ to go back to hitting threes. Um, so if RJ's jumper is falling, if Dante is, you know, Dante, Dante is very interesting. Dante will have a game where he's seven for 10 from three and he's got 24 points. And then I have a game where he takes two shots. And, you know, he's not, so it's just like I need everybody to be firing on all cylinders because, like you said, we have no Mitchell Robinson. We're in flux right now. And so guys just have to show up and do their job. I need Emmanuel quickly playing 25 to 30 minutes, please, um, and give us the best opportunity to win the game and, you know, take, take at least a win here. If we get one of these two wins, I'll feel pretty good about it. I'm tired of people saying we can't beat the top talent. Then we went west and we beat Phoenix in L.A., and then the story became, well, we can't beat the top talent in the east. And so let's go out there and beat, that, beat them and put that narrative to bed once and for all. Sean wants to see some narratives busted. Sean. From the Knicks, well, Sean Geddes, we thank you for being with us, sharing your perspective. KC, thank you so much for jumping on with us, man. If anybody wants to know anything about the Chicago Bulls between now and the trade deadline and beyond, you have to check out KC on NBC, NBC Sports Chicago. He's got them covered like a glove. Now, for us, we will be back next January 4th. That's our next putback show. Uh, so happy new year from us. To you, we appreciate you joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next time. One last note, we will have some more on the Mitchell Robinson situation and the fallout tonight on Honda Sports Night, SNY, 11 p.m.